Hi, I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Welcome to the Movie Musical Monday podcast. This series of recorded conversations explores all our favorite film musicals, from Broadway adaptations to Hollywood originals, as our rotating hosts and guest conversationalists open a discussion in which you are invited to participate. Today's movie musical is the 1962 film adaptation of the 1957 Best Musical Tony Award winner, The Music Man, starring Robert Preston, Pert Kelton, and the Buffalo Bills, with Paul Ford as Mayor Shin, Peggy Mondo as Ethel Toffelmeyer, Adnia Rice as Alma Hicks, Harry Hickox as Charlie Cowell, Susan Lucky as Zanita Shin, and Monique Vermont as Amarillo all of whom appeared either in the original Broadway production or the national tour. Today's host is Porchlight Executive Director Jeannie Luco, with guest, veteran actor Mark David Kaplan, who has appeared in the Broadway national tour of The Lion King, off-Broadway in Forbidden Broadway, nationally at the Goodman Theater, Chicago Shakespeare, Porchlight Music Theater, and more. Let's go to the conversation. Well, we're so thrilled that you joined us for the third um, Movie Musical Monday to talk about The Music Man. Um, Mark, I guess I'm going to throw an initial question to you. And then, of course, if people want to comment, please do. Why do you love The Music Man? What makes it special for you? Well, a little of my own personal history. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I, I'm a, I am a sometime actor in Chicago and, and other places when we used to be able to do that on stage, I was doing it. But I sort of have a list of shows that have come to me two or three times in my life as an actor and the last time as an assistant director. And Music Man was one of those. I started out in, in high school. I mean, how many of us can say we did it in high school? And, and then what I, part did you play? Did you play I, Harold I Hill? I played Harold Hill. Very nice. Yes, Charmaine, I see you. Uh, a role that I'm not really right for, although it was fun to sing. My sister, who was a sophomore at the time, who many folks know, Rosalie Kaplan, played Winthrop. So it was a bit of a family affair. Um, in mm -hmm. Summerstock, then, I at, at the Wagon Wheel Playhouse, where Michael Weber's worked, and so have a few others on this call, I believe. Um, I was the bass in the quartet. Um, so, uh, Sally Murphy played, if those of you know Sally Murphy, of Steppenwolf fame and um, waiting to be in the Tracy Letts play on Broadway. She played Mary in the librarian. She was a, an opera major at Northwestern. So, you know, then all of a sudden she became this series actress. And, you know, at any rate. Um, and then last year, I actually got to assist uh, Mary Zimmerman on the production at, at uh, the Goodman. So I feel like for that reason, and there's a short list of those shows that I've done two or three times that I feel like are, you know, Little Shop's one of them. Uh, you know, she loves me. It's one of them. These these shows that at their very heart uh, are about people uh, people at the heightened senses of what's going on in their lives. I mean, there's a there's a great story to tell. There's an urgency to it. Um, and as you arguably you might say, it's a little bit. Although River City is a fictitious place in Iowa, it was certainly uh, Meredith Wilson's comment on what he thought might have been happening at the turn of the century in the Midwest. Um, so, and I think there's stories that everybody feels like they can relate to. Um, that's, that's my short answer. I could keep going. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's such a a universal story of, you know, transformation, right? I always yep. think like they call him the con man, um, but I feel like River City conned him, you know, like it, they totally won him over uh, in an unexpected way, which is super fun. Mm -hmm. um, what makes this uh, movie or, you know, the play that it's so closely uh, directed and based on, uh, what makes it special for any of you guys? I see Joe has his hand up. Hey. Hi. I'm Jill Aldridge. I teach um, English Lit at Columbia College in Chicago, uh, but I'm an adjunct faculty, so that doesn't pay anything. Uh, so for the last 34 years, I've been a flight attendant. Um, and the reason this, and the reason I'm telling you this is this play is, and musical is special to me because I have been very lucky in my life. I actually met Barbara Cook and also Shirley Jones. Um, I met Barbara Cook over 30 years ago. She sang at Georgia's Supper Club here in mm -hmm. Chicago. And um, my friend who invited me to go to the show did publicity for Georgia's Supper Club. So after the, uh, her performance, we were invited down to uh, her dressing room and got to spend a little time with her talking. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, I had Shirley Jones on a flight from London back to Chicago. Ah. And, um, she was with her son, Patrick. They had been in London for some big gala to see David Cassidy, who was a huge, huge star in England, yeah. uh, was uh, having some big gala performance. And on the way back, people were kind of sleeping and she was awake and wanted to chat. And I was more than happy to talk to her. <laughs> And uh, so those were two very special moments in my life. And I know it's crazy, but that's one of the big reasons why this uh, musical is so special to me. Of course. Well, I think we always like anything better when we know people in it, right? We go to the theater and we like it just that much more because we know somebody in it. And Absolutely. if I might intercede, Patrick Cassidy, as you probably know, your aficionados, was in her stomach while she was, uh, uh -huh. <laughs> while she was filming that, well, filming Music Man. So. Uh, she talks about that a lot. And it's funny, in some, on some sites, you see the cast of The Music Man and Patrick Cassidy's on there because he was right. there, you know, <laughs> which makes me laugh. Absolutely. That's so great. Anybody else? Charmaine. Well, I um, was in the high school orchestra when we performed this in Des Moines. Mm. So we felt close to it. Uh, and we even got extended from two nights to three. It was so popular. <laughs> wow. <laughs> which is fun. But I just always, all through high school, up until I finally found my guy, related to my white knight. And, you know, and I, just, I really love that, that confluence of wants. You know, uh, she really gets hooked up with the wrong guy who turns out to be the right guy. You know, so right. that's right. what I love about it. Now, Chris Pasternak gave me a, a tidbit. He said that white knight, because I'll make a confession straight up and Mark, don't kill me. I have never seen the stage version of The Music Man. I have only seen this musical. And I made myself watch the Matthew Broderick uh, thing uh, last night. And so did I, I make I, a face? I, I, I made couldn't a face. get very far. I think I only got halfway through. It's just so not funny compared to this. Ver this version is so much funnier and right. richer and more interesting. But this thing is the right word, says exactly. Chris. But in any case, you know, it... Um, yeah, thoughts on that? You oh you you you're also saying that um 
My White Knight is replaced oh, right. with being uh, in love. My White Knight didn't make it into the movie, or it was switched out with with another song that kind of carried that that plot. The line B along. section of My White Knight is in there. She goes to All I Want Is a Plain Man, All I Want, da, 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 which is the the beautiful sort of story when she says what makes Shakespeare and Beethoven great. That's all still in there. Yeah. But, but the A section is what people have argued is a little bit too whimsical for Marion's character at that point in time. But yeah. there's more There's more trivia, and I'm sure Chris gave it to you, so I'll let you. Well, you know, something, and I, maybe it's taboo because it wasn't in the notes, but certainly it's something I've heard several times is, you know, the conspiracy theory, right, that Winthrop is really Marion's son, not oh. her brother, and that it's Miser Madison who's the dad. Now, I'll just say right now, I, I do not hop on this train. Although I love a good conspiracy theory, yeah. I'm not yeah. down with this one for any number of reasons, but I'm not gonna give you my reasons. I throw it out to you. I don't think so. I I thought you were gonna say, cause actually folks are more trivia that um, they thought actually that um, My White Knight was ghost written by Frank Lesser. And that was a conspiracy theory for years. Oh, and, that's an insider's conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. And, and who knows whether that's really true. And honestly, it all seems very friendly. There was nothing contentious about it, but the reality was, and there's some sort of science behind it. If you go back to something in Most Happy Fella, there's some underscoring that's exactly my white knight. I mean, it's 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 this, it's very interesting sort of thing that somebody came up with. But the reality is, and I was trying to think back then, Barbara Cook, of course, too. I mean, we all know how amazing of a singer she was. And I wondered at some point, being in love isn't quite as challenging vocally, especially at the end. It's less right. challenging than my white knight. And I'm not casting aspersions on Shirley Jones because I think she's gorgeous, but she was a studio voice at the time. You know, mm -hmm. she, she was did the bankable star. She was the bankable star in the movie. Exactly. Uh, I noticed Katrina, and I think Marcy had her name up as or her hand up as well. Katrina. Hi there. Hey. The, the Music Man has always been very special to me because my grandpa loves the Music Man, and he wasn't the kind of guy who was into theater. He loved the Cubs and. You know, um, but he had a special place for the music man. So I remember watching it with him when I was little. And after he died, I found he had the soundtrack to it. And so I, I feel a very special connection to it. And I just love this theme that if you believe, if you believe, things can happen. And I just, that's just so powerful to me. So that's why it's so special to me. Awesome. Hey, Marcy, how are you? I'm well. I was actually waving at a friend, but I do have some, oh. something to say. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, you know, I, I, um, I'm an audience. I've, I've always been in the audience. I've never really participated um, as actively as an actor or a singer or a musician. But I will say that when I was watching the movie last night, it seems to me Shirley Jones is gorgeous and she does really well acting. And she, when she's doing a duet, she's fine. But when the scene is just when it's her solo, it seems to me that the tension, she just doesn't hold the screen. As a, as a, as a singer, she doesn't hold the screen that well for me. Um, I don't know. And yeah, she was a bankable star and they needed her. But And she came to life when she was with Preston and with other people. But And acting, terrific. But singing, her solos, not so much. She just didn't do it for me. Interesting. And maybe that's why, too, she, be, she really was a kind of a, I don't want to say like a second stringer, but you know, she did a lot of studio recordings. She was in, what was it? She did Elmer, what did that she do? That was her big, Elmer Gantry. Sassy Elmer Gantry, role, right? yeah. 
But even on Broadway, she was in the chorus of something. You know what I mean? She started out, she and Jack Cassidy were in the chorus of something, Weber, you probably know. But like you said, there was something about being a presence that she maybe didn't have as much right. as others. Right. I'm going to read uh, David Fiorello, who's one of our very frequent music directors. He wrote in the comments, I love that in the same way that 76 trombones fits with Goodnight My Someone, which we'll explain if you don't know, and they mash it up later in the second act, but they intended My White Knight to mash up with The Sadder But Wiser Girl, such a great musical mm -hmm. match. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know, 76 trombones and Goodnight My Someone are the same melody or the same song, just slowed down. And so when they mash it up uh, towards the end of the show and then they then they reverse, you know, he he starts to sing the ballad. It's an awesome musical match. That is so true. David, did you want to expound on that a bit? My friends, um, no, just 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 that. I mean, it's a really, really interesting and beautiful um, way that I just think Meredith Wilson planned out such a great show from the beginning. You know, yeah. there's a guy who didn't write, you know, 55 shows for uh, for the theater. But he put so much care and thought into this one. And I just like love it. Like eight years, right? Like a yeah. long time, yeah. Yeah, a long time. And it didn't yeah. even make it into the show. You know, and it's, but it's one of those things where I just, I recently directed a production of it up in Milwaukee and we experimented with that uh, and got permission to use it. And it was just so, it completely enlightened the entire show. It was like, oh, there's another way in which they were kind of destined musically from the beginning to fit. And it's just a very clever, like, yeah, you can't use everything. There are great things. That's why great things get cut from shows. But you're like, yeah. He was, he was That's just why so many things show up, were cut and show up in something else. I mean, you know, exactly that, the, right. that the author does. Who wants to just, you're not going to waste that stuff. You hear um, Robert Cook actually talk about the, trying, the show trying out. There's that great interview from, I want to say like 25 years ago, where she talks about this show trying out, and I don't forget it was Boston or wherever, but the audience was at their feet at the end. She's that, they actually were standing on the theater seats. They were so crazy about the show. And Morton DeCosta the next day said, that's great, you guys, but see, that's what I was afraid of. We still have work to do. They were still doing things like changing around, the, you know, the idea of how the show started without accompaniment with Rock Island, you know, that just became a rhythm thing and the guys did it a cappella. They, they kept messing with that stuff and they'd go away to something and then they'd come back to it. So in a sense, like you said, like David said, there's a lot of great stuff that happens and they want to give it a go and see if it's going to work. And yeah, you know, ultimately the first thing worked more successfully. Yeah, I'm going to read one of Robin's comments. She said, back to my conspiracy theory comment, I guess, the big age difference between Marion and Winthrop was always a little suspect for me, says Robin, but I think she's supposed to be like 20 and he's about seven or eight. And I, I think there's probably like a 15-year a age difference between brother and sister, but I don't know. They're Irish, right? Like it is no big whoop if they ha if she has this kid at like forty five or forty or. And I think also the more when I watched the movie again, I was like, a lot of the parents are older in this movie. I don't know if they did that on purpose to make it seem better, but I, I just was like, wow, there's just a lot of old parents of like ten, fifteen year old kids. I mean, right. older, you know. It's a very big, in the big scenes, especially like in Iowa, was it trouble all of a sudden? River City is supposed to be a small population, but it ends up being a very big town, you know? So I think as they started to fill it in, you know, in big scenes, and then of course the scene in act two um, at the at the social, you know, it's- Sociable. Sociable, yeah, it's giant. And then you see the people who are playing teenagers who are really, you know, great dancers, probably in their twenties, 
you know, yeah. so it's very much a 60s musical in that way. Um, so, so earlier someone was saying, I think, uh, I can't find her on the screen, Marcy maybe, uh, saying that Shirley Jones wasn't really emotionally uh, approachable. And uh, Frankie Leo Bennett, one of our frequent actors, is on the call. And he says, re Shirley Jones, the cinematography and lighting at times also removes a lot of the interest, intimacy, a blessing and a curse. So maybe it was some of those effects too that kind of led to that. But I don't know, once they're on the footbridge and you know the, gate, the jig's up for her and and all through in front of their home. I'm just buying everything she's selling and I'm buying everything Harold's selling and his moments of transformation at the foot, like, you, you know, when he first hears the gossip, when he first gets there, when he first hears the gossip about her, when during Miss Marion, where he's kind of, you know, he's assuming that she's kind of easy and she's like, what are you talking about, right? And he goes through these things and he's still making the play until, you know, he realizes that she's been with, you know, been in the know all along. I just think that is totally fascinating. I have a question for everybody, just because we're talking about, because I buy what she's selling as well, but at what point, and I think this is certainly in my business is arguable, you know, however you want to play it. At what point do folks feel like he knows his jig is up? You know what I mean? And he's, and he's at the point where it has turned for him. I mean, there's a couple places in the story where I think that happens. I mean, there's a musical place that's very clear to me that obviously because it's a musical, it's well supported. But it, does everybody understand what I'm saying? At what point do you feel like he kind of, you know, like you said, he's, he finally really does sincerely takes off the artifice of, that, of the Harold Hill Con guy and he realizes that. Good question. He's changed. Peoples, peoples, when does that happen for you in this film? One spot for me, I think, is, I mean, and, and it's very literate. Um, it's it's the moment in the mashup, you know, the 76 trombones, good night, my someone. And he goes, there were horns of every shape. And, and then that goes away from him. And he goes to her melody. Yep. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because I love it. True. Talk about Charmaine, it is that what you were going to say, Charmaine? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Well, he pulls out the paper, right? And that's kind that's of right. the... The thing for him is like, shit, you know, someone will love me just the way I am and I can go legit and build a life. But yeah, it's 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 actually an extraordinary moment. And it's the reason, too. I mean, we, one of the questions I know you were saying, and I don't want to jump the gun, but why why this show, why this movie holds up and the reality it holds up because they were smart enough. First step to let Robert Preston do it on screen, you know, and it was already the show was closed what for two years before they did this film or they're mm -hmm. probably closed and then they started to do pre-pro and stuff but yeah it it's he's so good and and he plays things i mean it's certainly about a con man who's kind of a an, an overt flim flam guy but the thing i love that he transfers to screen screen like you think buddy hackett it's going to be like a yuck fest but their relationship is played really close to the best it's really good i love it it's they're so, so good. great yeah. So I, I think agree. they were smart to let him be, you know, let they him. They seemed like real friends right from the get go. You know, they're sitting there. How, how's it going? Oh, it's not easy, you know, and it just feels like just two pals. It feels right. I noticed Mindy and I uh, had her hand up in Lawrence. Take Mindy's thought first. Hello. Um, I'm going to be a little bit of a naysayer. It doesn't really hold up for me. I didn't see it. Uh, the play. 
But as a movie, I, I think it feels very stitched together. Um, there were a lot of plot holes. I didn't really understand when all of a sudden Shirley Jones is now falling for Robert Preston. It seemed to happen off screen somewhere. Um, the end, who taught the kids how to play the instruments. But in general, it, it's the kind of um, early 60s studio film that um, we had some really good production numbers and it felt like it had some story stitching the production numbers in. So it didn't really work. The politics are a little difficult for me. You know, why should anyone trust you when you don't have a husband and they do? And I know it's the times, but I, I just, you know, I was throwing my remote at the TV a few times, but <laughs> I did love the opening number was fabulous. I love the gossipy women with the chickens and who knew that Buddy Hackett was such a song and dance man. So that's my two yeah, He's great. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting. There are definitely moments of that, that I've wrote down too. What did I write when I saw it? It runs, this movie runs the extremes of playing those close to the best moments and then some real suspend your reality moments. Yeah. And I think, Mitty, that sort of speaks to where you are. And, and clearly, like, for example, too, when we did, um, when I assisted last year at the Goodman, of course, the first conversations in pre-pro were getting rid of the Watan Yee girls, as they well should have. I mean, right. and we can all argue that was a time back then, so not, and what, those of you, you folks know Heidi Kettenring, who played the mayor's wife there, who was fantastic. They ended up doing something just as funny. I mean, it was like the way theater can continue to change and evolve. And, you know, of course, if we were writing this now, we would not, we would not, we would find the essence of what we wanted to say without saying some of that literal stuff that was done. So, yeah, there are moments immediately, too, when I was watching, I was like, ooh, passing by this, passing yeah. by this. Right, right. Lawrence, <laughs> did you have something to say? Yeah, um, it, actually, I thought the Goodman production was much better in terms of showing exactly when Marion turns, which is when she sees Winthrop just explode with joy in the Wells Fargo song. And it's like anybody who can transform him, she's on his side. And that's when she pulls the uh, paper out of the Indiana Journal and mm -hmm. becomes uh, on his side. So I thought that was well supported, at least in the play and the way it was emphasized in the direction uh, at the Goodman. I don't know that it's quite as clear in the movie, but, but I, I think it's well supported. In terms of the uh, politics, I, I, I agree. It's surprising when you look at the Marion, the librarian uh, song, and she clearly wants to have nothing to do with him and is kind of frightened with him and keeps on pursuing her and pursuing her. It just plays a lot differently now than it did in 59. Yeah. Um, and, and then also just the mother with this man accosted me on the street and said, so what did you say to him? Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just different then. And than, then she goes back to him. I was talking about that stranger. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. She's not going to let an opportunity pass by. That's for sure. And, and then uh, even, even with the uh, Anvil salesman, she puts the record on the gramophone to try and create a mood. Yeah. But then if it gets too, you know, too pushy, then then the gramophone stops. That's for yeah. sure. 
Um, and Tony Gibson, our board chair, brought up uh, Anna White's um, choreography. So um, tidbit on her, she was born in Nova Scotia. Uh, and my dad was born in Nova Scotia, which is the only reason I recall that tidbit. So um, there you go. I, I don't really know a lot of her stuff. Tony, do you want to give us a little mini recap of why she's amazing? You know, I just, she's one of those choreographers that I really didn't know everything that she did until I started researching her more and the amount of work that she did and to not really know her name is, is mm -hmm. astonishing to me. She, I mean, her theater credits alone included, I mean, she was a performer in a bunch of things, which is how she became, uh, how Michael Kidd became her mentor, which I, I th also think is kind of cool how there's there's a lot of moments in uh, Shapubi that are so like uh, Seven Brides, which is is really funny to me because it, there's a lot of techniques that are the same. But anyway, I mean, some of, some of the other musical movies and things that she did, were amazing, including MAME and 1776 and uh, Gigi and all kinds of other stuff. I just was surprised to learn all that. Yeah. And Mary and the Librarian is a fantastic number. If you look at the how it starts and the way she makes theatrical and beat-to-beat -beat sense of it, it's really terrific. And I was looking at how, I mean, obviously there was a lot of different angles, but she made what was seemingly a kind of a small space she made a lot happen. I mean, it was very vertical with the, you know. Right, I love tears. when they go up the stairs on the outside of the stairs. You know, so one good. of my favorite bits in that scene is when she shoves him down on the bench and he like laughs a chortle that is just like so real to me. It's just so cute. Like he's laughing and I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's you, a, know, it's you watch it enough times, those little bits. And how great is he as a dancer? Come on. Yeah, right? They talked about, you know, he didn't, before Music Man, he really, was not a musical actor, but they did, I've watched a lot of interviews where they talked about the different people who were possibly going to, you know, be be considered for the movie version. And one of them was, they talked about was Ray, well, maybe even initially was Ray Bolger, but they decided mm -hmm. that he didn't have really the, the right kind of chemistry, the mix. He was kind of goofy showbiz guy, and which was great, but Robert Preston kind of came at it from a different angle. He, Right, like Danny Kaye, you could have seen maybe would work uh, a la a Robert Preston, but Robert Preston is so much better. Most of the other people on that list just seemed like, what? Right. Um, but Henry Marks just wrote in the comments that Van Johnson was Harold Hill in London. Um, and of course, Dick Van Dyke did uh, like a 1980 uh, Broadway version. And and we hear that Hugh Jackman's going to be coming up in this. Right. So um, which kind of leads into one of our questions, like, how would you cast this today? So let's just do a combination of who's your favorite Harold Hill and who would you like to play Harold Hill or Marion or any of the characters? <laughs> Rosie, did I see your hand up? Uh, my hand was not up, but I would just like to say that I actually do like the Hallmark version with Matthew Broderick and Kristen Chenoweth. And it was, um, I actually stole the DVD of it from Netflix when they actually mailed you the DVDs because I liked watching it so much. And I think that like the ladies that are cast as the mayor's wife's friends in that one are really, really fun. Yeah. Charmaine, your thoughts? I was just going to say, after uh, Hugh Jackman played Barnum, I didn't know that much about him up until then, but after seeing that, I would love to see him do this. I will crawl to New York to see him. <laughs> part of it. 
<laughs> I I saw him play up Peter Allen in Boy from Oz. But that's already a long time ago. And he, I mean, tech. I mean, he has the goods. You know, he does. He's terrific. He's full of talent. And from what I understand, too, for everybody who I know who has at least worked with him or peripherally, he's a gem to work with. So, you know, sounds like a good person to be leading a large company yeah. of a show, you know. For sure. You, Spencer, you had your hand up, sir. <laughs> One of the problems is that you have people who are too recognizable in roles. Preston was not. And that's one of the successes of this. I mean, if you look at who's afraid of Virginia Wolf, you say, oh, there's Liz Taylor and Richard Burton. And I think that's the one thing of casting unknowns would be a really good idea. Maybe not bankable, but casting unknowns. Right. Instead of like if moving forward, instead of Hugh Jackman, I, I don't know if Sutton Foster has this. I mean, to us, she does, but I don't know if she's got the same recognition across the the board, um, but yeah, other thoughts on casting? You, I agree with that. I, I think there are a lot of people out there who deserve a go, so good for you for saying that. Yeah, Robin? For some reason, I'm on this age thing tonight, but I kind of want Harold and Marion to be closer in age because I feel like if Harold is too much older than her, it's a little creepy. How old is too old? I feel like they're like 15 years apart in the movie. Like she's supposed to be like 25 and he's supposed to be like 40, give or take. Right. Yeah, that's that's kind of pushing it. Like, that's I, Well, I don't want it to seem like he's like the creepy uncle or whatever. Right. <laughs> so. She already had one of those. No, just kidding. Oh, yeah. Mr. <laughs> so, Chris, you had a question or comment? Yeah, I had two Broadway people I would love to see in this. Um, uh, the the Harold Hill is maybe a bit of an unconventional choice, but Norbert Leo Butts. Yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him do two very somewhat similar things, both in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and um, Big Fish, especially. And he's able to, which is like, uh, is just have a big heart at the center of everything that he does, which I think is one of the things about Robert Preston that works so well. Um, and then Laura Benanti, I would pay any amount of money to hear her sing that score. And I think the two of them would be fun and a spunkier or, or a spunky uh, pair to, to play off of. She and of course, I would have loved to. She has a viewpoint, which would be really interesting. Yeah. And I would have loved to have seen the Kennedy Center production with Norm Lewis and Jesse Mueller. That's cheating. We all love her. I don't. I wonder how he was. He wouldn't be the first person that would come to mind, but I would certainly have loved to have um, seen that production. David Fiorello. I would love to see Anika Noni Rose do um, do Marion, uh, and I think it would be. Thank you, Charlotte. Very good. She agrees. Um, yeah, you know, she was in uh, the Dreamgirls film, Princess and the Frog. Um, she was in Carolina Change, but I think she. I mean, her voice can go for years and years, but I think she would be beautiful. I would love that. Love to see yeah. her. Jerry says in the comments, he well, he questions, was Warner Brothers in financial trouble in the early 60s so that bankability became so important? Bankability, of course, was also the reason that Audrey Hepburn got the role in My Fair Lady over Julie Andrews. I don't know. I think all studios want a certain level of bankability. And I think you know, they seemed like they didn't want to take Robert Preston on the ride. So, right. um, 
Yeah, Jeannie, I was just going to add to what you said, especially then. And then we're still, I think there were still contract players in 62, uh, but it's definitely bankability and it's probably still the same today. So I just got a sick feeling that we're going to see uh, Zach Efron and Selena Gomez in the, <laughs> in the Disney does <laughs> music man. But to be politically correct, they'll call it music people or something like that. So, um, but yeah, I, I think they, they always want names of people that are going to sell their movie. Yeah. Joe? If you, if you look at the, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, if you look at the beginning, I was cause watching how the, how, the, how the movie introduces people. I was looking at the differences between the screen version and the script. And it also speaks to Mindy's earlier comment. I think the script in the stage version makes better chronological sense, but they mix some things around for weird reasons, you know, for odd locale reasons, and it didn't hold up. But I was looking at star entrances. Buddy Hackett has a star entrance. You know, he comes from behind the horse, you know, I mean, right. there. I think there were a lot of stars in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, or at least people at the yeah. time who were, and yeah, I wonder, and again, it goes back to what Mr. Hugh Spencer said. It said, why not let the story be the star? I mean, you know, and like, like you said, Robert Preston, wasn't a giant he wasn't a giant film person at the time yet was he at all i mean he was i don't know no no they wanted to cast a ton of people like uh frank sinatra is one oh, that's right. uh, several people um andy yeah. griffith maybe i think they were talking about it was like maybe yeah maybe he was so did you still have a comment carrie grant, carrie grant right mm -hmm. joe well, you know, Shirley Jones was an Oscar-winning actress at the time, and um, she got the roles that Barbara Cook did on Broadway. Uh, and so, you know, there you have it. But, um, you know, I'm thinking when I watched this again, I thought, today, this play really lends itself to somebody who's really good at rapping. And uh, because there's so much talking and speaking, and it's very, very musical. And I thought, why not have Will Smith come back and, uh, you know, do something? This would be a great way for him to get back into music. He's got that personality, you know, something crazy like that. But, you know, the other thing I think about this musical today is a song like Shapoopy, which is so much fun. It's such a hashtag Me Too song. You know, it's just sexism at its best or worst. Right. Yeah. Um, this, I don't know, your comment for some reason made me remember that when, the, the, upon my most recent watching, when Wells Fargo Wagon starts, uh, I'm just like, wow, this is what we feel like Amazon delivery today, right? The Amazon delivery man pulls up and you're like, what box do they have for me? You know, I got a bathtub, I got a chainsaw, you know, it's so funny. Uh, Mandy, did you have something to say? Oh, just real quick, I want to do a shout out to those Buffalo Bills. And I was wondering, since a lot of you are singers, did you like Robert Preston's advice that singing is just uh, enhanced talking? Um, I would disagree as someone who can't sing, but I was wondering if those you sing, is that what it is, enhanced talking? It's funny that they call them the Buffalo Bills, you know, and, and they don't, and you know, they don't get like individual name credit at the end. They, isn't that crazy? And they all... They, were, they all, all were from Broadway, you know, they are, and the Buffalo Bills were a group that started, I think they had gone through three, two or three different baritones until they landed on that particular group. So they were, they were an entity on their own, but it was just weird that they didn't get their names. I was they like, didn't, they were fantastic. They were so good. And I agree with you, Mindy. I, I don't, 
It's not just a sustained talking. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd all be doing it. Right. Yeah. You? Well, Preston says the reason he got the role was that the audition was trouble. And everybody else had a problem doing trouble, except he, as an actor, not a singer, had no particular problem. Mm -hmm. And that's how he got the role. Interesting. That's, that's really neat. And by the way, I also think that Norbert Leo Butts is my favorite, too. Yeah, he's good. I like the Will Smith idea, too, Joe. He's charming. He's talented. Um, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see, if, you know, something like that. And may, maybe at a certain point, I agree with the folks who said that they should be more in sync age-wise. I think that would be interesting that they're both at a place where they're at the end of a tether of sorts, you know? I mean, because that also would feed into the fact that he's been doing this for a while and the whole relationship with seeing Marcellus and going, oh my God, Greg, you're still doing this, right. you know? And, and when he finally does meet her, yeah, it is weird that she's supposed to be as young as she is. I kind of, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't think I like that. I like that part of the dramaturgy at well, all. Why couldn't Winthrop be a little older? I mean, why does he have to be so young? That I mean, I don't know, Lawrence. Yeah, uh, just the from the play, from from the the wording, it makes it seem like he's supposed to be a lot younger because this is supposed to be 1912, and he said he graduated from the uh, conservatory in aught five. So he graduated right. seven years before. And then at the footbridge, he says, and again, this is one of those lines I really don't like. He says to Marion, you're 26 years too late. So she's supposed to be about 26. Right. And he's supposed to be like five years or seven years out of school. So right. we take that line out for the redo. Let's take that line out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Michael messaged me that Winthrop is six, but. Isn't he older than six? Is he really only six? Supposed to supposed to be six? Because he seems awfully young for six. I mean, he six seems awfully young. Uh, you know, he's small, but I don't know. I feel like he's never, at least on stage in the versions I've ever seen, maybe, and it's just a castability thing. I've never seen him played quite that young. Right. Yeah, um, Ron Henry, Howard was about, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, Mindy. I was going to say Ron Howard was about seven or eight when he made that, when he did that role. Yeah. So I don't know if he's supposed to be older or younger, but Henry Marx mentioned, how would gender reversal work? Meaning it would be an all girls band and uh, she would do the seducing. Is that, is that what you mean, Henry? Femme fatale I like and a male librarian, Mark? I like it. I, yeah, I think there's a, I mean, I, I would even go a little bit further and let's just not not even revert mess that mess with the genders everywhere just look at them and who knows maybe the i mean it musically it says something different but maybe the quartet is mixed up and let's see what let's see if we just throw all of that to the wind you know gender wise and if we're gonna do it let's really do it you know right i mean this is such a beloved sh a musical and movie um and nobody's really mixed it up too much you know in the matthew broderick version there were black people walking around uh on like this where you saw nary a person of any color but Which nobody's really the pushed it period, very hard the time period sadly was a conscious choice you know i mean it's, and it's and, iowa i mean yeah. there's and just not a i lot. get it and sh yeah. i get it and shame on them all at yeah. the same time so right 
It doesn't feel as weird in this movie than it did in Greece last week. When we watched Greece and talked about it last week um, and this like 50s nostalgia, I'm like the 50s sucked for a lot of people uh, in this country. So, um, but but this somehow, I don't know, maybe because it's so long ago and it's it's not LA, it, it's just the middle of, of Iowa. It doesn't quite feel that bad. Um, right. And better than Greece, I think this did a better job of, I, I felt that it was 1912. Greece uh, and Hair the week before, I felt as if they were play acting in the time, but I thought they did a better job right. with the sets and the costumes on this one to give it more of a period feel. The fronts of and the women's met- hair still looks a little a little contemporary for me. Just like, but I compare that to the time period. It's like, some, it's like the movie of Camelot. I mean, when you look at Vanessa Redgrave, she has the most beautiful 60s makeup on. It's like, right. Guinevere didn't look like that, folks. You know, right. so so it's just, it's a product of its, the time in which it was made. So, but I agree with you, Mindy. I like, I think the costumes are extraordinary. I love the color palette at the, at you know, at the sociable when everybody has a bit of pink and red. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely And gorgeous. her green, the Cummerbundy thing. I love that. Uh, Frankie, Leo Bennett, did you have a thought? I did, but I'm having a technical difficulty, so I'll come back. <laughs> okay, come back to us. I'll get it. I love the hats, too. The hats, the costumes, they're great. Of course, there's not, as somebody pointed out in the notes uh, of this, that there's not a lot of farmers for Iowa. Like, everybody's really dolled up. I'll, you know, you can find them. And, of course, it's the 4th of July celebration. It's the sociable. It's the, you know, there's there's reasons to be dressed up. but. Um, yeah, not not a lot of uh, there. It's pretty well off community, River City, which is based on, uh, is it Mason City that that was his real hometown in uh, the I real city in city, yeah. yeah in in Iowa. It's supposed to be his love letter to Iowa, um, but of course they kind of seem like rubes a bit and rude and kind of mean. I mean, they're a bunch of things, right? They're a bit contrarian, but uh, in the end, don't you just love everybody and like I moved to River City. Flawed and all. Yeah, right? Yeah. Rosie, did you have your hand raised? I was just going to say the same thing that Jeannie said, that it is surprising that this small town in Iowa seems to be filled with like mostly affluent people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I don't mind it because it's a musical and I'd rather see them all dressed in opulence than, you know, farmers. <laughs> right. That they, I mean, it's clearly meant it when they're all dressed in pink for the sociable i mean it's it's clearly you know this was meant to really be like the stage version joe you know i was thinking at the opening of this film when i'm watching it and uh, on the train with um, all of those traveling salesmen there in that car i thought oh yeah something could happen here you know if uh, we were doing a production today you know, because, you know, you've got to open it up a little more and um, forget about all of these restrictive ideas that are being placed on this from the time period. Um, you know, I, I remember seeing Whoopi Goldberg once talk about um, auditioning for the play St. Joan. Mm-hmm. And um, she said that, you know, when she was doing the audition, they said, excuse me, but um, you realize you're Black. And she said, it's a play. It's a play. It's not real. It's a play. So, you know, why can't we do some of these things in productions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I'm back, thankfully. Uh, I'm back. Um, it, it speaks to the casting and, uh, in general, this this ideology of how, like, how the film has so many things that are making us feel cringeworthy. And I I still feel that moments of it were probably cringeworthy when they were on stage. And I feel like that was a point that Meredith Wilson was trying to Meredith Wilson was trying to take. I turned into Winkler for a second. Um, and it's speaking to whatever casting we wanted and anybody can doing it is that I also feel like the film and how it was shot was trying to say the only way we can really do this is that it has to lose some level of realism is that it is a small town fairy tale the whole time hmm. is that it, you just get rid of any notion of this can't happen or anything like that is that the audience knows what the end of this was, especially by the time the film had come out. And so it's a matter of watching the unraveling and not necessarily watching the like beat by beat, like, oh, this is how people actually acted. It was like, nope, this is about the faction of society and how Harold breaks them down until it's just the two of them. Absolutely. And it's filmed like that, actually. I mean, the way it sort of whittles itself down to that. Yeah. You know, even in terms of the number of people in the scenes. I, d I was going to say that I do love some of the lines uh, that are not that are in the movie that aren't in the uh, stage version, like when he passes by that one, all those character types. He says to that one guy, um, "Could you could you send me? Can you send me in the direction of a nice hotel, the Palmer House in Chicago?" Yeah, right. you know, I mean, I I loved all they, they all were were rhythmed and beaded well, and it, and you immediately got an idea of the of the Iowa stubborn that he was about yeah. to encounter. And I think it was a smart way to do, do that, do a smaller spectrum, you know, as opposed to a guy walking on a giant stage, you know. Right, kind of right. Lawrence. Yeah, I have a question. Uh, and on stage play, is Amaryllis watching the sadder but wiser girl for me? Nope. I was shocked. Very good. I think the same thing, Lawrence. Absolutely. And she's giggling and they're doing it. And story-wise, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that this little girl doesn't go and, I don't know, not that she's going to- I don't think she knows what it is, like what, she doesn't you know, know what it is. really, some of it kind of goes over the head, right? Right, but it's, it's like, this is all fun mm -hmm. when what they're talking about really isn't fun for a little girl. Yeah, no, that's so no. observant. Yeah, that's yeah, bizarre to me. And she's giggling. Yeah, she's giggling as if she doesn't, yeah, she doesn't hear a word. It's, it's, it's gentlemen making, doing funny stuff and dancing together, you know. Right. Exactly, yeah, right. What do you think was behind the choice of Ron Howard spitting when he was supposed to be lisping? Do you think maybe he just didn't know how to do a lisp? I found it an odd choice. I think it was just the ultimate comic effect, you know, that, that this little kid could produce. That That's what, how I took it, but. Because isn't know, there a the moment when Robert Preston wipes his face? Yeah. yeah. I, think so. I thought that was gilding a little, a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I read somewhere that he, he was supposed to have more of a speech impediment, more like a stutter than just a lisp. Um, but I don't remember if that was in like the early text or the, the play version or you know, the stage version or what. Um, in the play, I think, yeah, he's supposed to be a little more than just a lisper. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's a whole other avenue, you know, especially if it were written now, a whole other thing to think about in terms of, I mean, he he's a thoughtful, interesting kid who is not like other kids. I mean, and that's what we talked about a lot even last year, that he just was an interesting, you know, kid who didn't 
didn't respond to people in the same way. And obviously story-wise, because, you know, the way his feelings of losing his dad and, and there's a lot of real stuff embedded in there. But it is interesting. I wonder too, and that's a question. We don't have to dwell on that, but would he be, would he be written with that, with that speech impediment now? Had, had this been written? Mm-hmm. Or, well, he's got to overcome something, right? That Harold can help him overcome so that Marianne can fall in love with Harold. Um, yeah, whatever yeah. it may be. Sure, sure. Yeah. But he doesn't know the territory. Wilson's book on the creation of the music man, the Charmaine. Charmaine, have you read that book? Yeah, it's been quite a while. Uh, in fact, I was trying to think of there's something about that the list with Winthrop came up later in the development of the thing. But uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, yeah, bits about, and I think uh, he was reading in, in uh, Wikipedia, there were like 20 more songs that were in the piece that didn't get in. Yep. That he just really worked and worked and worked this thing. He really and did. That's yeah. amazing. But he doesn't know the territory. Hugh, you have something else? Well, <clears throat> there ought to be a whisper or something. Otherwise, why would you have a character named Amaryllis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Right. And she's so, you know, it's like she makes him do it and she laughs, but then she's so surprised that he cries. Like, why did he take it so bad? Um, right. You know, it's which is so honest. sweet when she's really just in love with him. She sings, you know, good night to the star or whatever the heck it was. It's so cute. Right. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, while Wilson, I think Meredith Wilson wrote at least one memoir, maybe, but, um, Robert Preston didn't write any. He was a very, very private guy uh, hmm. in Hollywood, which is interesting. Um, that is interesting. Uh, Michael Weber and I were discussing earlier today, um, Morton DaCosta, this is, he only did three films. And the the next one was um, Island of Love, right? Yeah. With Robert Preston and yeah. Tony Randall and Walter Matthau. Um, so it's interesting. It's just interesting. And I, I'm looking at all of that, that. I mean, looked at Shirley Jones was involved in something, a project with him later on. It's it's kind of like it is now. If you have somebody you really like to work with, it seems that you, know, you want to stay together. Um, yeah, Charmaine says, there I stood with my piccolo was Wilson's book about his earlier days because he actually played in John Philip Sousa's band. Yeah, he brought, I mean, so much of his own life and story. And I guess he had a much older sister too. I mean, he brought a lot of his life to this work for sure. Although I have to say, I was a little embarrassed when um, I heard the song, Till There Was You, um, because I've always known that as a Beatles song. And I said, oh, this came first, so. He made more money off the Beatles song than he made off the movie and stage rights combined or whatever it was. Really, okay. Yeah. Mindy, I love that you said that. I, I love that. I love that you're here. It's the same thing Thank as you. sending the clowns, you know, being a major hit for Sondheim, you know, because of Sinatra and Streisand, you know, it's just, yeah, I love it. I love that they loved it so much. And they played it on Ed Sullivan, I think, too. Um, yeah. One of the first things they played. So that's a good way to ingratiate yourself with the Americans, I think. It's really a beautiful, and they they sing it beautifully. It's so, they do. It's really the, the simplicity of the lyrics and it's a gorgeous melody. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really lovely. Da, 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 da. Yep, it's very, it's lovely. So good. Sure. Joe, did you have a comment? Oh no, I'm just rubbing my forehead. <laughs> You're just, <laughs> it's been a long hour of conversation for you. <laughs> no, I just don't have air in my apartment. Until tomorrow. Oh. This is when they turn it on. Oh, 
Good. Well, same here. It's about 400 degrees in my place. <laughs> your fan is fantastic. Well, thank you. <laughs> we're a fan of your fan. Yes. Thank you. Well, well we're yeah. coming close to the end of our program. Any other comments, parting thought? Anyone from the cheap seats that we haven't heard from yet? Robin makes a good final point that this was the end of the period when Broadway show tunes could be crossover hits in pop music. Oh. Michael, I know that you played uh, Harold Hill in one of your early uh, performances. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that in the final three minutes? Oh, no, that was just high school. But it's the thing that got me really interested in musicals was, was playing Harold Hill in high school. So I think a lot of people came to musicals by the music man it was a show that was done in a lot of high schools and that beatles thing you know it's the it's the only non-beatles song they ever sang they never sang another song that wasn't written by themselves really interesting that meredith wilson would have been the one who did that so as we get ready to wrap up thanks everybody for joining us for the music man thank you Jeannie, and thank you mark kaplan for being our special guest we hope you enjoyed this Movie Musical Monday podcast and that you'll join us live to participate in our next discussion. You'll find information about upcoming events on our website and how you can join in the conversation. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Movie Musical Mondays... I'm Michael Weber. Mm -hmm.